Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. I have all kinds of news to get to today. Everything from geopolitics to vaccine stuff, all kinds of Christian-related news and some Bible prophecy stuff to hit. Uh, just a quick refresher, you can always check back in the backlogs of Bible Prophecy Talk, where I often just go over theology and different kinds of things. I would recommend uh, about six podcasts ago or so, I said uh, I did one called Five Reasons I Do Not Think We Are in the End Times Yet. Um, I take the position that we aren't, I I'm not currently seeing the specific things the Bible said to watch for. I'm seeing a lot of bad stuff, certainly, and stuff that's not good for Christians even specifically, but, um, and I may take a, a more conservative approach than many uh, other Bible prophecy people, uh, but I don't see anything yet, but that's what, what we're doing in this podcast. We're looking for those specific signs, and in the meantime, going over all the various news stories, because I do think they will help uh, us to make prudent decisions about our lives, and going forward. So I didn't hit geopolitics last time, especially the, the world news stuff. I just sort of forgot. So I will do that here. And we'll start with a couple stories I missed last time. A lot of China stuff. Um, China war threats rocket. Taiwan warned of, quote, absolutely credible Xi Jinping will try to take over. This is the uh, some defense guy in Taiwan speaking on Sky News Australia. And Australia is an interesting connection with this. We'll get into it in a minute. Uh, he said it was absolutely credible that China will attack the nation. Mr. Bolt asked what can be done to prevent this. Uh, blah, 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 if China, Basically, I'm not going to go through that article, but uh, Taiwan is worried about China attacking, and they should be. We have uh, covered here, and I've seen otherwise, a lot of military uh, ship things happening in the sea uh, that China is doing. In fact, the U.S. is getting involved to some extent with that. But we'll just put a pin in that for, for now. Here's another one from Fox Business. Global microchip shortage has China eyeing Taiwan. Now, this is important because the, the, the chip shortage is a very interesting thing. And it, it's mostly coming from Taiwan, if I understand it correctly. That, and that is because there's a semiconductor factory there. It, apparently, it's really hard to do advanced semiconductors correctly. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of money to spin that whole operation up. And it all worked okay if it was coming out of Taiwan before that, but before all this, but now it doesn't quite work so well. So it's, it's basically, at this point, a strategic military uh, asset to have that factory in Taiwan if, if in fact, uh, there is a war. And uh, so anyway, this article seems to be saying that that's one reason that China would be wanting to attack Taiwan. Now, obviously, China, is, their official position is that Taiwan is a part of China. And of course, Taiwan does not see it that way. Taiwan is very independent. They are the remnants of the people that uh, uh, fought against the Chinese communists and when the communists took over. And... Um, just a couple other things here. I think I've got a more recent China story. Let's see if I have that here. Australia faces potential military crisis with China over Taiwan within years. China suspends economic dialogue with Australia indefinitely amid spat over Belt and Road Initiative. And so what I want to say about this is the Australia connection to all this. So there is 
there is an article here, and I should get into this before I even get into this, but I can't quite find it here. But the point is that it's it, it was Xi Jinping, the the premier in China, saying that uh, in, in no uncertain terms that he wants to take over Taiwan within his lifetime. Basically, like it's it's a done deal as far as he's concerned. It's a very high priority for them, and that if they do that, it would cause Australia to get involved because Australia is in the neighborhood. They are, they have agreements with Taiwan. And of course the U S would, that's the big question. What would the U S do? And, you know, at this point, I don't really know. I don't think anybody can anticipate it, but I think if China is going to do it now would be a good time when, uh, uh, when they are probably not going to get any real opposition from uh, Joe Biden, who might just say, uh, you know, cultural differences or something like that. So it's possible. It's possible. The alternative, of course, is if if Australia goes to war with them, whether or not we do, then that's going to cause huge problems. It's going to really force, I think, America's hand. But who can guess what's going to happen? But a, a war like that or the lack of one both have huge consequences. Like if China did that and the U.S. did nothing, I think the whole world would t- take up, you know, sit up and take notice and say, oh, you know, it's free reign on America kind of thing. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but I do want to make you aware of that building uh, tension. And it is becoming pretty obvious with a lot of these these news stories. OK, um, let's move on to some Israel stuff. So over Ramadan, there was a lot of interesting news stories about the Temple Mount. Um, The Islamic group um, that controls the Temple Mount basically said that the Jews couldn't come up there for uh, during this time, which wasn't entirely unexpected. I mean, there's a lot of limitations already for Jews to go on the Temple Mount. Uh, But it was just an interesting article. It just seemed kind of galling the way they did it. They just said, hey, you can't come up here. And they came out of nowhere in this this thing. And I've got this other one. um, It's from the Times of Israel. We're all Hamas. Palestinians wave terror groups flags on the Temple Mount. Palestinians waved Hamas flags during Ramadan prayers on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem's old city, where tens of thousands of worshipers gathered for the last Friday of the Muslim Holy Month. Video shows throngs of people on the compound, some of whom were waving the green flag of Hamas, the Islamic terror gr- uh, group that rules the Gaza Strip. Some worshippers also reportedly chanted in support of Hamas and called uh, for it to carry out attacks on Israel. Now, there's nothing much to report here except for <clears throat> this just seems like I think that there's going to be a growing amount of, of I guess the word it is resentment on the part of Israel of this kind of stuff on the Temple Mount. I think that it is, I think that it will begin in Israel. You basically have the ultra Orthodox who actually think you should sacrifice on the Temple Mount. I mean, they actually get close to the Temple Mount and sacrifice. I mean, that's something that the, the, the police have to watch out for with the ultra Orthodox is they try to sacrifice, you know, on Passover, they go out to watch for these secret sacrifices and things like that near the Temple Mount. So they see the Bible as literal, basically. And then you have the entire, probably the great majority of, of Israeli uh, Jewish people or in Juda- Judaism, it believes that, you know, it kind of spiritualizes it, that uh, they don't really need the Temple Mount or whatever. I mean, just my reading of it, if, if you wanted to continue to be a Jew, it's absolutely crucial that you have the sacrificial system on the Temple Mount. 
But of course, you could see why they would have basically modified their their theology uh, because of the impossibility of that happening. And I just I just think that these kind of things would are just putting a pressure on them. Like this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. And then I think it's just going to explode. And I think that's re- what we really do see in the end times. The Antichrist essentially allows this to happen. I believe it is because. Uh, he, it, it, like it says, you know, who, who is like the beast who can make war with him. There's a protection uh, that he offers when he, at the beginning of the 70th week, this covenant that he makes with many has to do with the sacrifices. And we know that because the next line says, but in the middle of the week, the he will stop the sacrifices and offerings. So there are three or four options as far as I see it. Either the beginning of the 70th week is the beginning of the sacrifices, which means that it's kind of like a ribbon cutting of the temple. Or number two, the sacrifices had been going on previously to that. They just stopped for some unknown reason uh, three and a half years after he makes the covenant. Or the sacrifices had not stopped. He essentially allows for the temple to be built at the beginning of the covenant. So there's some time in between the beginning of the covenant and the three and a half year, i.e. the midpoint in which the sacrifices start. That is to say, let's say in a year and a half for the temple to be built, another year and a half of the sacrifices happen, and then the sacrifices stop. So in any way you look at it, uh, the, the Antichrist, the Temple Mount, and sacrifices are a major, major thing to watch for. In fact, I think the vast majority of the things that Jesus tells us to watch for have to do uh, with that that moment and the things surrounding. I know that we don't like to hear that because we think that, oh, well, we'll know that when it happens, you know, and maybe we will, maybe we won't. I don't think that, I think Jesus's main thrust of that whole thing was don't be deceived by it. Don't think it is me. Don't go out in the wilderness. I'm going to be, when I return, you're not going to be able to miss it. Uh, So, you know, many will be deceived by these false messiahs and false prophets, according to Jesus. And I I wonder uh, what that will look like. I don't know, but again, we are just watching. One thing I wanted to talk about was the Palestinian uh, election situation because it's a, ni- a neat little box that they are in. Um, so Mahmoud Abbas is the uh, uh, Palestinian Authority president. He's been the president for as long as I can remember. I guess, what, 15 years or something like that? And the idea was that they were supposed to have elections, right? And they just never did. And so he's just been... The president, and he's not a good guy by any stretch of the imagination. He sort of uh, backdoor funds all kinds of Hamas stuff or whatever, and everybody knows it. So there's a lot of pressure happening now for the Palestinians to have an election. But everybody knows if they have an election, then they will just officially elect Hamas. I mean, that's just the way this is going. So what you're going to have have is... So the international community is really, really, uh, I'm interested to see how this plays out. My suspicion is that they won't allow an election to happen, but I don't think it would be that big of a deal if they did. So let me explain. So if they hold an election, Hamas will win officially. A terrorist group will be in charge of, will be democratically elected. You know, great for democracy, right? The problem is that the international community, who basically hates Israel, has been funding the the uh, anti-terror or the, rather the, the terrorism of Hamas to some extent uh, through um, uh, Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinians. So, I mean, you, every international organization in the world, you know, gives money to the Palestinians or whatever, but they can't officially do that if now, a, if a terrorist group is now officially in charge of Hamas. So that whole money pipeline international community stuff would be would dry up for the Palestinians. And so that's why I don't think it would be a big deal if if Hamas does win that election. 
Uh, and, and according to this article, Palestinians moment of reckoning on Abbas's dangerous decision to postpone elections. I, I didn't even know that he postponed it, but it does appear that way. Let's read a little bit of this article instead of me just jabbering. The decision on April 30 by Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas to postpone Palestinian elections, which would have been the first in 15 years, will deepen Palestinian division and could potentially signal the collapse of the Fatah movement, at least in its current form. Unlike the last uh, Palestinian uh, parliamentary elections in 2006, the big story this time was not the Fatah-Hamas rivalry. Many rounds of talks in recent months between the representative of Palestine's two largest political parties had already sorted out much of the details regarding their now-canceled elections, which were scheduled to begin on May 22nd. Both Fatah and Hamas have much to gain from the elections. The former... Basically, you get the idea. That's the problem. We'll see what happens with it. I do not know uh, which one is best. They're both not great, but an interesting, an interesting dichotomy. Just a couple more things on geopolitics. I thought this was interesting about the European Union inaction blamed for proposal to redraw Balkan borders. And let me read a little bit. Uh, the EU special representative for Belgrade, uh, Pristine, Pristina Dialogue, these are names I can't. Uh, former UN Special Envoy to the Balkans said on Tuesday that the decline in the EU's influence is the main reason for risky plans being floated to redraw the borders in the Union. As a panel discussion entitled Geopolitics Gambles in the Balkans, um, these people expressed concern about the two so-called non-papers discussion documents on which one of which was allegedly circulated by Slovenian prime minister and the other allegedly by France and Germany, although this has been denied. I'm going to skip down here. The idea of redrawing borders is not new. It has been here for many years, but it was brought to the forefront now. I deeply disagree with these ideas. I consider them extremely dangerous and a war-provoking idea. Unfortunately, the vision of the EU membership for the Western Balkans has become more blurred, more distant, and therefore also less motivated. When we created a void in the regions, others are coming with other ideas. And I mention this because I, I think the Balkans, as they have been throughout all the world wars, are, and wars before that, the Balkans are basically always a powder keg that will start something. This article is essentially saying that the European Union, which has kind of been flirting with getting some of the Balkans on board, you know, they like have talks with some of the smaller ones, Macedonia, the, the Republic of Macedonia or whatever, uh, you know, in applications for EU membership. But so you have the EU sort of being weakened and being sort of its attention diverted, and they're not able to really do all that courting of these uh, groups. And of course, the Balkans are sort of right in between, you know, the East too. So you've got these other influences in the Balkans, notably Russia would be the primary one, uh, but also Turkey and other Middle Eastern interests and things like that. So, and there's, of course, the Anglo and Bible prophecy, I think that the Balkans, originally I kind of thought that the 10 nation thing would have something to do with the Balkans based based a little bit on uh, Daniel 8 and then also Daniel 11. I saw some aspect of possibly there being a, a the 10 nation thing as a part of the Balkans or that could be important or at least that the Antichrist would come from somewhere um, in the Balkans, notably, I think, Greece. But uh, th those are ideas that I... Uh, and very fluid on and changing, and I, they're not well grounded. They're essentially suppositions. But I've recently changed that to more think it's an around the Mediterranean, sort of like uh, the Roman Empire 
controlled the entire Mediterranean. I think that makes the best sense of Daniel 7's focus on the Mediterranean, the so-called Great Sea, and those beasts that arise out of the Great Sea, and the uh, the systematic progression of all seven heads of the beast world empires throughout history progressively became more in control of the uh, the Mediterranean. Anyway, whether or not the Ten Nation Confederacy is that or another thing, I don't really care. I'm watching all those things, but um, the point is that that borders being redrawn is something that we definitely need to be paying attention to, right, in Bible prophecy because. There aren't 10 nations as a part of any kind of coalition or any other, certainly any other kind of thing that you could call a coalition or a kingdom or whatever. So, and that's a necessary precursor to a lot of the end time scenario. In fact, I would submit that because Daniel 7 says that the 10 nations, the 10 kings are there before him, it is a chronologically necessity that they are before him. I also see his wars in both sort of implied in Daniel 7, but uh, but illustrated in, in Daniel 11 necessitate them being there before them. In other words, they are a part of the first half of the 70th week of Daniel. Therefore, it seems incredibly likely that before we can have anything that we would call the end times, there must be a 10 nation confederacy. And we do not see that. This doesn't really look like that's going to happen either. I'm just saying that the talk of war in the region, my, my, my current belief is that none of these kind of severe border redrawing, because we're not talking about a a minimal amount of borders that need to be drawn. It's going to be a major thing. That kind of stuff only happens in war. So my inclination is that there needs to be severe war before we get anywhere close to that part. Of course, that can happen very quickly, but uh, that's where I am on that. Okay, moving first to Gateway Pundit. This is two hours ago. Swiss diplomat who represented Biden admin interests in Iran is found dead after falling from the 17th floor balcony in Tehran, Iran. Just a really interesting thing. Um, I'm reading from a Twitter post here. Swiss diplomat Sylvia Bruner, who was uh, preparing to testify against the Biden family after attacking Switzerland and its banks. She ends up dead on the ground outside of uh, her home. And just an interesting coincidence there. Um, Don't know what to say. The Gateway Pundit, we're going to see. I see a lot of stuff from Gateway Pundit. They're just doing incredible uh, work. Uh, Moving on. Uh, ACAB says, a terrorist mobs burn police alive in Colombia. I just want to bring up Colombia and its um, protests and if you look at these protesters, it's basically like Antifa and, and you know, beating up cops. And, you know, this one, they're, they're, I don't fully understand it yet, but it's basically they were, it was a tax matter. Um, and it was probably, I'm sure, a redistribution of wealth kind of thing or whatever it was. I'm sure that they had genuine um, uh, arguments or whatever, but it also became a very, very anti-police situation. This goes a little bit to my previous podcast in which I sort of laid out the idea that I think that worldwide, the rule of law in terms of the way that we currently conceive police forces, typically municipal, individual uh, cities or counties having their own, or even countries having their own police forces, that is not going to be allowed. Those will be demonized and hated so that they can bring in a international police force that has no love for the uh, people and can uh, stomp some boots on some necks more uh, thoroughly. Moving on, scientists claim to spot fungus growing on Mars in a NASA, a NASA rover photo. So I, I've been, 
I used to joke a long time ago with uh, Frank Lordy when I used to do the Frank and Chris show many, many, it was probably 14 years ago. We would see these Mars things, you know, it's life on Mars and you'd always read the, the story and it was like, oh, by the way, not really life on Mars, but there was always a news story. So I was expecting this to be that too, but it's actually pretty interesting. It's talking about these these balls that look like, uh, you know, they're uh, hypothesizing that they're like uh, fungus mushrooms or something like that. And this is obviously found uh, in the recent rovers that have been sent over there. I want to just read an article or a paragraph or two here. It says, uh, fungi thrive in radiation-intense environments, the team writes in its paper. Sequential photos document that fungus-like Martian specimens emerge from the soil and increase in size, including those resembling puffballs. After obliteration of spherical specimens by rover wheels, new sphericals, some with stalks, appeared atop the crests of old tracks, the researchers write. The, the team went so far as to say, quote, black fungi bacteria-like specimens also appeared atop the rovers, and they did not stop there. The team also examined photos taken by NASA's high-rise and found evidence for, quote, amorphous specimens within a crevice that quote changed shape and location and then disappeared i don't know what they're talking about there but it just sounds like the beginning of a horror movie uh or a, a uh, something let me read that again they didn't stop there the team also examined photos taken by nasa's high rise and found evidence of quote am amorphous specimens within a crevice that changed shape and location and then disappeared i'm sure they're talking about something rather innocuous like the spores on top of the rover but it sounds pretty bad. Uh, anyway, I, I think that's interesting about the life on Mars situation, whether this is real or not. I think it would be huge news. Moving on to economics, there are no donations today, so I won't mention those. But I will mention uh, to donate by praying for me, uh, to donate by uh, writing a review on your app. on your If you have iTunes, just do a search for Bible Prophecy Talk. Click this podcast and then write a review. That would be really helpful. I'm really trying to, to. I mean, we've been ranking pretty good in all those uh, uh, things for the keywords, but those reviews uh, are really, really helpful. You can also donate uh, physically, you know, uh, any number of ways, but you can go to the website, Bible Prophecy Talk, go to the donate button. Uh, also, you can donate crypto. You could type the uh, phrase chriswhite.crypto into most um, uh, crypto wallets, and it should. You can donate Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a few other uh, coins, Litecoin, and some other things. Chriswhite.crypto is the address. It's a non-fungible token. The uh, You can buy your own uh, .crypto domain in which you can use for a an address like that. Go to Unstoppable Domains. I'm still trying to work out what the usefulness of it is uh, beyond that. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty interesting dealio. So, all right, moving on. Uh, just a couple things with uh, economic news. I wanted to briefly talk about the silver squeeze. I just hope that, so the silver squeeze is Long story short, uh, in the stock market, they have ETFs, which are basically uh, not real silver. They're uh, supposed to be, but they're not. And they, you know, the idea is that if you buy one of them, technically you're also buying an ounce of silver somewhere. And that, yes, you'd have to pay some fees, but you could technically go somewhere and demand your silver that you bought technically just an IOU of silver. But it's been sort of a, a widely understood game that they are leveraging that like crazy, like like one ounce of silver is oversold like 80 times or something crazy. 
and uh, these big hedge funds with a ton of money by doing these leverage plays are keeping the, the cost of silver down. And there's a lot going into this. I mean, silver is a necessary component to things like all this electric car stuff or whatever. And the reason I have this here is number one, you should look into it. Go to like the morganreport.com, uh, which is, you know, uh, one of the best sort of silver uh, bull kind of places to learn about anything silver. Uh, but it's it's difficult. I mean, the silver spot prices are, are one thing, but the prices right now on gold and silver over uh, the whatever, the, the, I can't think of the word for it, but the fees that they charge over and above spot right now are crazy because it is so hard to get physical silver. But I wanted to mention this because it's just another sign that the stock market is just at this really vulnerable point where if this works, they're going to essentially break the system. Um, it really, really will have major impacts on the stock market if they do the squeeze in May, uh, which basically is like the GameStop, but the ultimate GameStop with uh, silver. They've tried it 10 years ago, and they didn't have enough money to do it. So the question is if it will work this time. If it does, it's going to be interesting. A couple of things like that. A list of all the shortages in the U.S. economy from diapers to cars. And I'm going to compare that with this one. U.S. trade deficit climbs 5.6% to record $74.4 billion amid American craving for imported goods. So this is an interesting thing. And I think that these shortages and this trade deficit are combined. If they aren't now, they will be in the future. And that idea is that the trade deficit means we don't produce anything. We're, we're not shipping anything out on those boats. Those boats are just bringing stuff to us. And we just have all this money that just got printed up and has been given to us. And we want more and more stuff. So we keep giving. So those boats are basically taking away a bunch of dollars and they're bringing us real stuff. But pretty soon that gravy train is going to stop because people aren't going to want the dollars as much. And they're going to ship those boats to other places and because we don't produce anything, we're going to have a lot of shortages of things that we need. I don't know for sure if that's the, the reason we're having all these different kinds of shortages right now. I don't think it answers all of them. I, like I said in the last podcast, I think things like the chip shortage, for instance, really probably was a crunch on, at least to some extent, on everybody all of a sudden needing computers and web cameras and stuff to do school online. I mean, that would be a major supply shock. Uh, and there's other reasons for the lumber thing and other things. So I, I don't think it's, I do think to some extent there, this is a transitory thing. That's the thing that the federal reserve has been saying, oh, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. Yes. You're going to see inflation, uh, but it's all just temporary. Well, I do think that there's some truth to some of those things, as long as they keep you focused on the things that are transitory. But, um, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if, um, you know, if it takes a hold, I mean, if it, if it really doesn't change with real estate or uh, building costs or uh, food, you know, and we do see signs of that kind of stuff happening. So I don't know. I think inflation is one of those things that it, it really is dependent upon nobody really talking about it. And all of a sudden, the last couple of weeks, people have been talking about it. So I expect there to be major moves in a lot of the real asset uh, classes of goods. Uh, and everybody seems to be talking about that in the financial world right now. It's moving into too hard assets. So whether or not that's a good idea or not, I don't know. But uh, but I do think that's what people are going to do because that's what people do when they're afraid of, in, of inflation. And they're only afraid of inflation when the TV starts talking about inflation, which they have started doing. Okay. 
Moving on, I guess I had one geopolitics other thing that I wanted to mention, uh, Ethiopia. So I talked about Ethiopia in the past. I think it's an interesting part for Bible prophecy in that uh, I do think one little tip of it, particularly this tip that's in this great conflict, uh, uh, part with Eritrea, which is technically not Ethiopia, but used to be this section, Tigray, which buffers it and Ethiopia. I believe that section, well, first of all, I do believe it is mentioned uh, as a part of the Wars of Antichrist. It's a part of the the, the nations that, uh, that the Antichrist will conquer. I do think it is going to be part of uh, um, what he will call Greater Israel or what, well, I think it, depending on how you draw the map, it may be a part of Greater Israel. Uh, some maps have it that way. In any case, it's also interesting because I do think that the Ark of the Covenant story of it being in a, the church in, in Ethiopia is a good one. It's a good it's a good theory. It makes a lot of sense. And if it is, I think that's one of those things that can spiral us into a Bible prophecy moment and discussion. So I'm watching it. But the reason I think this particular story is interesting, uh, tepid international response to Tigray conflict fuels horrific violations over the past six months. So, yes, there are... I don't even know. So Ethiopia is basically this banana republic, but it has this veneer of being like uh, not, you know, like I think that they gave the, the president of the Nobel Peace Prize with his, you know, uh, green to talks with uh, Eritrea. So the, no, the international community doesn't want to call him like this, you know, warlord kind of guy because they just put him on the pedestal on a pedestal and said he was a great guy. Um but the real issue is this dam that they're building that is about to go online really soon. So they're, they built this massive dam on the Nile. There's like what's called the Blue Nile. There's a source. The, the source of the Nile is two main sources of the Nile. One is kind of in out of Kenya and it is the uh, the uh, Lake Victoria. And then you've got this other sort of tributary, the, the so-called the, uh, the Blue Nile, which is the one they're going to dam. And... And so Ethiopia has in the past, in the 70s, prevented these kinds of things from happening because it would cause a war because, and that's what they threatened them with, war. Uh, because if you, to fill this thing, it's going to cause major problems in Ethiopia, I mean, rather in Egypt, which quite frankly can't have any disruptions in the, in the Nile. And so they, it's a, it's a national security thing for Egypt. But so <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do because these crazy people basically are running Ethiopia. And if you had any hope that they would like fill the dam slowly and not cause a major you know, problem to happen, I don't think that, that anybody thinks that. And so the international community has been really, as it says, really, really tepid. <laughs> they're, they're trying not to call out Ethiopia for a lot of these reasons, because everything is kind of on a knife knife's edge, but Ethiopia basically has it in its power to cause all kinds of problems here, but the international community doesn't want to uh, rock the boat too much. That's my take on it anyway. Could be entirely wrong there. I do want to get to COVID stuff, but I do, I think, before I get to that, I want to hit just a couple things that I think are interesting. I think I'll do some of the Christian and Bible prophecy news before I get into that. So the Jared, Jared Kushner, this is from... Uh, da, 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 da. Now the end begins, which is not a, a site I recommend. I think that they're far too hyperbolic and far too uh, willing to. There's a lot of these Bible prophecy websites out there that are um, doing things I certainly wouldn't do. But 
in this case, he's talking about Jared Kushner launches Abraham Accords Institute for Peace to complete the process of implementing the two-stage solution to divide Israel. Jared Kushner is a founding of um, uh, founding the Abraham Accords Institute of Peace to work on deepening agreements uh, Israel reached last year with the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco. Everyone thought the Abraham Accords would end when Joe Biden became the the pretend president, but in fact, just the opposite is taking place as we told you it would. At this point, the Abraham Accords are virtually unstoppable as they are the foundation on which the covenant uh, confirmed by the Antichrist will take place. Sobering thought, yes. And he quotes uh, Daniel 9, 27 here, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, desolate even until the consummation that, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. He then quotes a few other places here. Isaiah, because you have said you have made a covenant with death and, and with hell, we are in agreement when the overflowing scourge shall pass through it. Shall, this is not even out of context, this guy. Anyway, continuing. So, so here we have Jared Kushner, an absolute minion of the Antichrist. Okay, look, I can't, I can't read this stuff anymore. I get so upset with Bible prophecy people out there. Um, but so here's my take on this. And I, I mentioned this just because it's, you know, a Bible prophecy podcast. And I, I think that probably your best bet, if you want to hear exactly uh, uh, how I think about this, is to go back, oh, I don't know, it's probably been about 20 or so episodes now, uh, to a podcast called uh, Peace Deals? Question mark. And in that, I go through all the all the different things. Well, I've got a couple different ones. I've got uh, episode 58 are the Abraham Accords, the fulfillment of Daniel 27. And I have another one that I listened to recently called Peace Deals? Question mark. In any case, they're out there. And so I won't go through all of that right now, but I'll just say this. Because Daniel 927, I think, is somewhat a gray area. And the reason I say that is because we only have one verse in the Bible that talks about this. I don't think that Isaiah verse was about it. I don't think very many Bible prophecy uh, people think it is. Uh, I also go through in that, uh, in those podcasts, first Thessalonians, when they say peace and safety, but you know, all that stuff uh, is not because that's talking about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord will, when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them. Well, in context, that sudden destruction is a direct reference explicitly to the day of the Lord. And for a pre-tribulationalist, that is therefore an impossibility because they believe the day of the Lord is the entire seven-year period. So if the first thing that happens in the 70th week of Daniel, which all parties agree upon, which is this covenant uh, with many, um, then you can't have that before. You, you have essentially a day-long area for people to say peace and safety and then sudden destruction comes upon them. And you might say to yourself, well, that's fine. Uh, let's just have it be a day once they say peace and safety. And that, that, that concept of people saying peace and safety only lasts a day and then sudden destruction comes upon them. Well, or half a day or whatever it takes to make the agreement and then have the day of the Lord start. But then what do you do with all the references to that peace and safety in the Olivet Discourse? Things like uh, marrying and giving in marriage until, which is, uh, you know, speaking of the days of Noah, and they, the, the people preceding the day of the Lord are in a somewhat oblivious, carefree uh, moment. This is expanded upon in other places. The idea is that the uh, day of the Lord comes upon them as a thief in the night, unawares because, uh, well, for, for obvious reasons. So the point is, the marrying and giving in marriage and all these things as a result of that concept would seem to be a longer than one day. But but there are other reasons. I think I'll just sum this 
idea up this way. I'm okay with it because it is a gray area. I think the covenant being made with peace, my guess is that it will have, that whatever the covenant made with many has something to do with the daily sacrifices. I believe that's explicitly what the covenant is, something to do with the daily sacrifices. And the reason I say that is because of the way Daniel 9.27 is worded. Uh, he will make a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, uh, sacrifices and uh, offerings will cease. And so therefore, it's logical to assume that the the start had something to do with the sacrifices by the way it said it. And I would just say this, look, I'm okay with this some kind of peace agreement, this thing that we all started saying in the in the 70s because covenant sounded like peace agreement. Uh, and we were in the midst of the the peace agreements of the time and Yasser Arafat and all this stuff that we just sort of assumed it would be a peace agreement. Um, I'm fine with that. I think it's a possibility that it could be a peace agreement. I think it is uh, probably not what's happening there, but I'm okay with it. And I'm going to watch for that, but I want everybody else to recognize the centerpiece of sacrifices on the ten- temple mount. If three and a half years from now, you do not see it, then you can't, or, and I would suggest anything even approaching it, anything, even discussion of it, anything having anything to do with sacrifices in the temple mount or it being a possibility or, a, you know, that's the, the critical thing. So when you make, declarations of somebody being an antichrist minion. Um, and I think that the reasoning with Jared Kushner is in part, and I talk about this and those other things is because he had like a, a building that he owned, I think at one point that had the street address of 666. And while that's probably not a good idea to do, that is not what the Bible says about 666. It doesn't say, and he shall be tangentially related to 666 by owning a building. It says his name will be 600. The number of his name is 666. And that number will be put on everybody's forehead or right hand in conjunction with your giving your allegiance to him that will not be able to be bought and sold. That's the context in which 666 is. I agree. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that I'm worried about. I'm worried about the dumbed down version of a fake end times and we ha- and that Satan gives us a, a stupid fake end times for us to, uh, to, to look at and to think about. And in fact, and in fact, it won't be because I think that the Antichrist wants to come in and destroy the fake version so he can look like a real version because you won't ever believe that the Antichrist is the real Christ unless he destroys a fake Antichrist. Uh, but I don't think any of that even works in the current scenario in which we all know the Bible too well. At least I hope we do. So I'm also kind of worried about what if this takeover, this New World Order takeover um lasts for a hundred years and really suppresses Christianity and really suppresses the Bible. What if the Antichrist comes after that hundred years when nobody knows theology good enough to point out, hey, this isn't exactly right. You know, this isn't exactly what the Bible said to watch for or whatever. We won't know it enough to be able to call it out. I'm, I'm really afraid that he comes upon us in a, in a time when we, when we don't have the, the access we do today, because I honestly think the access that we did have today is kind of an accident, satanically speaking. I think the whole the whole thing w- wasn't supposed to go like this, as far as he was concerned. But anyway, I am getting off the topic here. I want to hit a couple other things. Marine fossils found discovered on top of Mount Everest could be proof of the Great Flood. Didn't read the article, but I wanted to talk about this idea of uh, this because somebody had sent a a email this week talking about something I had mentioned with regard to the uh, theory that the the creation days are related to, uh, uh, 
you know, the, the E equals MC squared, right? I mean, I could go through the whole thing, but basically if when the big bang happened, if matter and it was going faster at that time, then time would have been going faster. And as it slows down, time would have also slowed down. So literally one 24 hour, one revolution of the earth, however you want to look at a 24 hour period, a true, a true 24 hour period could contain what we would think of as millions of years. Time is just weird and it really depends on speed. And so, and it depends on where you are in relationship to the uh, universe. So for example, it would be different if you were on a, uh, because it also has to do with gravity uh, in the same respect because E equals MC squared. So it can be also be uh, the gravity well that you're in could be larger because you're on the sun or on Jupiter. Literally time would move at a different pace. So unless somebody has calculated that and put any of that into your calculations, you don't have a theory yet on the age of the universe. You haven't actually thought it through. So for that reason, I would say uh, check out the Gerald Schroeder book, uh, which is called um, uh, The Science of God. But I wanted to talk about this aspect because I have another theory that I always think that works with the science of God quite well, which is the hydroplate theory from Dr. Walt Brown, is it? Uh, and anyway, uh, the hydroplate theory is the canopy idea of the fountains of the deep and all these things in, in Genesis talking about the flood. I think that there's this whole like theory about some water in the sky or something. And I think it was always hard for me to really grasp what they were talking about. And the, the proofs for it were always a little bit, uh, you know, not great. Some of which I think can be explained by the hydroplate theory, actually, the, the, the small proofs that there were. But this is the point, is that the water was underground first. If you read the, the flood account, it says that the fountains of the deep burst forth something burst forth from underneath the earth. And the hydroplate theory is that it was huge amounts of water that over time uh, had been sort of pressure because of gravity and different sort of trends and forces with the moon or whatever. And it broke through causing the mid-Atlantic rift, which is a, a giant crack that extends exactly all around the world. It's underwater, but it's the largest mountain range in the world. And it's this big crack in the, in the earth and just, exceeding whatever it was, like 400 million nuclear bombs, this water just went into space, just huge amounts of water. And that was the primary force for the flood, not the rain. The rain certainly had something to do with it. And the rain was, you know, went into space and all kinds of stuff. But part of the hydroplate theory, and if you look it up on YouTube, you'll see a lot of the, the models. But but it, it forced all this land to sort of crush into each other. Let it, in other words, creating things like Mount Everest all at one time. Like it just bunched it all up, you know, because these, these huge forces because of this explosion just were moving these plates across the earth, you know, and then when they hit like a, 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 a place, it would bunch them all up and create essentially the mountain ranges. In other words, in other words, things like Mount Everest, they were never the size of Mount Everest. You don't, they, before the flood, this Pangea, this sort of mostly one continent, um, wasn't even that there wasn't even that high of mountains. I mean, there was basically soft hills and, you know, minor mountains and stuff, but nothing like on the level of Mount Everest before this, if this theory is true. All right, let's get into some COVID news and some vaccine news. Um, I've got this one here. I just wanted to quickly read the title, No Jab for Me, and here are 35 reasons why. And I will include this in the show notes, which are exclusively on the email list. Um, so I'll send these out every Sunday. 
I will send out an email list with all the links to all, all these articles. And this one is just a good one to go over. 35 reasons, you know, pretty well resourced and that kind of thing. So you can sign up to the email list by going to BibleProphecyTalk.com. And in the widget there on the right, you'll see a way to sign up. All right, moving on to COVID news. Congress is finally investigating the lab accident COVID-19 origin theory. And this is from the Washington Post. And in this article, it talks about congressional people asking some tough questions, including, let me just read some of this. Uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said last month that, quote, we need to we need to get to the bottom of this. And Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines has testified that the U.S. government is investigating both the natural spillover and lab accident theories. But the Biden administration reportedly isn't really pushing for a genuine investigation into the Wuhan Institute of Viro Virology, which was conducting risky experiments uh, through what is known as gain-of-function research on bat coronaviruses that infect humans. Skipping down a couple paragraphs, the NIAID and its parent organization, the National Institute of Health, fund much of the collaborative work between the U.S. scientists and the Wuhan lab, including extensive work on bat coronaviruses. The letter asks Fauci, who has repeatedly thrown cold water on the lab accident theory, to hand over all available information on U.S. government funding and support for the Wuhan lab, especially related to gain-of-function research. And goes on to Republican Leader of House and Energy Committee Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers of Washington and two other Republicans wrote to Blinken on Thursday requesting that he release all the documents related to factual claims that the Trump administration State Department made in January in a January 15th statement, including an assertion that the Wuhan lab was concealing its work with the Chinese military and that several researchers came down with COVID-like symptoms in the fall of 2019. The Biden administration confirmed these claims, but Wuhan scientists deny them. That means uh, one side is lying. So this is written by, let's find out, because I'm interested if this is written by the guy who showed up on, yeah, it's written by Josh Rogan. Okay. So this is Josh Rogan, the guy who was on um, uh, on Joe Rogan. So it's the same person. It is on from the Washington Post, and this does look now to have congressional uh, interest. And I think that as I said before, this is an interesting one because if this would come out, you would like to think, I mean, I, I don't think people react to anything anymore like I think that they should think, but you would like to think it would wake up the world. Here's this this guy, Fauci, who supposedly knows everything about this and has been telling us to do all these things, and he's the guy essentially behind it. County with the world's country with the world's highest vaccination rate orders new lockdown as COVID cases surge. Um, this is an interesting one. And in this article, yes, so this nation, uh, Seychelles, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce that tiny, tiny island nation, but 62% of its adult population has been already vaccinated, which is compared to whatever Israel had um, some not quite as high version of that. So they're the most vaccinated country, albeit a small country. And they're having a coronavirus crisis. Uh, surge and in this article they make it sound like it's because they didn't take you know they didn't take uh, Pfizer they didn't take whatever they took you know uh, some others besides Pfizer so the idea is that if they had taken Pfizer this wouldn't be happening but I want to put a pin in this one because this is going to be a type of story a genre of story that we're going to see both later today and I think is going to be important as we discuss another uh, scary theory about the coronavirus vaccine. 
before we do, I see I've, I've missed one here uh, about lockdowns. Stay home order side effect. Opioid deaths nearly doubled. This is from Mercola. The report, the result of a collaboration between Northwestern University researchers and Dr. Pani Arn Kumar with the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office found that opioid overdose fatalities nearly doubled during the stay-at-home orders compared to 100 a week period in 2018 and 19, rising from 23 deaths per week to 44. This is this is just crazy because um, you know this is a good reason in a sane world to say what are the effects of the lockdown, which we're not going to ever talk about because that is killing people in India. It's killing people in third world countries and, and not just because of opioid deaths, but because of starvation. Moving on. Ophthalmologists now ethically obliged to denounce COVID-19 vaccines as 20,000 new eye disorders are reported. This is from Global Research by Lance Johnson. This is an anti-vax uh, website, uh, but I find it to be often telling uh, true things and at least citing its sources, which is more than I can say for a lot of mainstream media. Um, in just a few months, the World Health Organization received approximately 20,000 reports of new eye disorders that occurred post-COVID-19 COVID vaccination. These reports included 303 cases of blindness and 1,625 cases of visual impairment. The European Drug Monitoring Agency had never recorded such a severe spike in eye injuries until after the experimental vaccines were launched. These reports were collected by uh, vigil base and analyzed by the Uppsala Monitoring Center in Uppsala, Sweden. About half of the new eye disorders were additionally reported to the UK's Yellow Card Adverse Event Reporting System, which was set up to monitor the influx of adverse events that were anticipated during this live experimental vaccine study. So I think we talked a little bit about it, but add eye disorders to the issue and, and blindness. I mean, goodness. Pfizer-AstraZeneca COVID vaccines probed in Europe after reports of heart inflammation, rare nerve disorder. This is from FiercePharma.com. I'm not sure where they stand on things. Let's read. Europe's drug regulator says it's evaluating an assortment of potential side effects following inoculation with leading COVID-19 vaccines, including heart inflammation, facial swelling, and rare nerve disorder. Uh, degenerating disorder. Yeah, in most circumstances, it's not clear whether the vaccines are to blame. Of course not. It's just all, you know, just all a coincidence. But anyway, it's interesting that like Israel, this uh, European agency is also doing these studies um, and that they seem to be somewhat independent. So hopefully we'll see something. I don't think that, you know, if it was up to Pfizer or whatever, they, they wouldn't even do these studies. So we'll see what happens and what comes of this. I do think that the truth will get out and partially because of some other things that we'll be looking at here in just a minute. But I want to briefly go over all this, uh, the, these headlines. Can COVID-19 vaccines affect my period? This is from one day again, KCR Sacramento. And it starts off, um, it is not known, but researchers are starting to study the issue. And so they go on to say, and this is what I'm starting to see on a lot of the forums and stuff is in the when, when women are saying that they ha are having these very odd issues, which are all over the board and incredibly odd after getting the vaccine having to do with menstruation. And um, they're told, Hey, just go to this website, sign up, give, tell them what happened. They're doing a study. It's all going to be fine now. Cause they're doing a study. They're doing a study and looking through this, it doesn't look like it's going to do anything. There's no evidence that any vaccines, including COVID-19 vaccines affect fertility. Oh, no, that's not it. 
if scientists do eventually find a link between the vaccine and short-term uh, changes in bleeding, experts say there would be no reason to avoid getting vaccinated. Doctor, I'm just going to read because I can't find it. What I was what, trying to find this issue where it was saying that this is basically just a, a survey. And if they find a lot of people saying that they're having problems, then they'll like do a study, an actual research paper down the line. In other words, this is going to go nowhere. This particular thing isn't isn't going to solve anything. It's just kicking the can down the road. But this doctor, Dr. Mary Jane uh, Minkin, a gynecologist and professor at the Yale University School of Medicine, Researchers recently launched a survey to begin gathering data. Oh, she says here, the benefits of taking the vaccine certainly way, way outweigh putting up with one heavy period if indeed they're related, this Yale doctor says. This just infuriates me because this is that that's not a science thing to say. This doctor has no idea if that's what's causing this. They don't have any idea. Nobody's even proposed the, the mechanism in which it's doing. Well, the, oh, yeah, they have. They say... Uh, um, Vaccines are designed to activate your immune system, and some experts have wondered if they could be temporarily disrupt men menstrual cycles. So far, reports of irregular bleeding have been anecdotal, and it's hard to draw any links to vaccines since changes could be the result of other factors, including stress, diet, and exercise habits. They're not even trying to propose a reason why this is happening, and they're really going with the idea that it could be that you're just stressed. It could be that you're just, you know, something totally unrelated to this. They're, they're not even talking about mechanism. So for this doctor to say, it doesn't matter. You should not get a vaccine just because this is, let's say it is happening. It doesn't mean you shouldn't get it because uh, the outweigh, it way outweighs the risk of one heavy period. That's not scientist science. She has no idea what the long-term effects are. She has no idea what the mechanisms are because if they're having problems, because for example, these things are recognizing the placenta as a spike protein and attacking your body. And that now will be a permanent thing that will happen. Therefore it will affect your fertility. So saying things like there's no evidence that any vaccines, including COVID-19 uh, vaccines affect fertility are because they haven't done any studies on it. <laughs> you haven't, you can't have any evidence of something that you don't have study, uh, haven't studied. There's that, that guy pointing to his head and he's thinking, ah, there's no evidence of uh, any affecting fertility if you don't do any studies. 16-year-old uh, Wisconsin girl dead following two doses of experimental Pfizer COVID vaccine injections. Okay, so there is a video on YouTube that's still on YouTube, uh, interestingly enough, and I think it is because it is so factual and these guys are not in any way anti-vax but they are certainly anti-mass vaccination and they are certainly anti-vaccination during a pandemic so that's the the uh, source of their theory it the video is called dark horse podcast with geert vandenbosch and brett weinstein so geert vandenbosch is an interesting person to check out uh, but this video is basically lays out his theory and brett weinstein um, seems to have some kind of related degree. In any case, he's good at sort of breaking down the sciencey stuff and explaining it in a way that's a little bit easier to understand, but still at a pretty high level. So the theory is this, that while this guy, this is a vaccine scientist, very pro-vaccine, I think he worked uh, in some, you know, drug company capacity. I think I heard he worked at even was funded in some part in some study that he did a while back at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So uh, he's pro-vaccine, is my point. But in this thing, he's saying that vaccines, number one, shouldn't be given during a pandemic. 
And his argument there is that you're supposed to give vaccines as a, as a prophylactic uh, before you get a thing. And certainly not why everybody in the world has it. But even worse and related to that, don't give a vaccine in a mass vaccination campaign in which everybody will essentially have the same antibodies. And I'll explain what that means in a minute. So his, his argument is that by doing those two things, what we're going to do is create very dangerous viruses that will mutate because of the pressures put on them by these suboptimal things. I'll get into that in a minute, too. will create these actual deadly viruses that would eventually uh, uh, nullify natural immunity to a certain extent and, and, and therefore cause problems even in children because the reason that they are not susceptible to coronavirus by any uh, measure, large measure, is because they have good immune systems. But if this theory is correct, this ultimately would create problems with even that, certainly if they get vaccinated. Or ultimately, the vaccinated, ironically, will be the ones that are breeding these mutants and, and passing them on because, because getting vaccinated does not stop you from passing them on either and therefore causing a much deadlier pandemic. And uh, so he's pretty alarmist in that regard. And if this theory was true, we would start to see, number one, a lot of people that have gotten COVID vaccines start to be more susceptible to COVID-19. Um, and I think that we're already seeing that. I see articles, I've got two or three articles here that are talking about um, how interesting it is. Death of fully vaccinated U.S. expert in India sparks worry over fires efficacy against COVID-19 double mutant. So, and that also kind of informs you how this would be played out in this completely corrupt uh, uh, news media. Uh, that they'll call these mutations. And I don't think that they're going to, at least in the, in the midst of the fear when nobody has, can, can figure out what's going on, they're certainly going to blame it on, on the people that didn't get vaccinated, ironically. Uh, they're not going to bring up that it's mostly vaccinated dying, I don't think. Parallel to that, I do think people will. I think people, it's going to be too big, too in your face not to notice that. But it depends on who wins out in this information war. I do think in a, in a perfect world, this will be obviously uh, Nuremberg trial situation, the kind of things that are going on right now. But I don't think it's going to go that way. I think that, you know, I heard a stat today about Pfizer and the, the, the pharmaceutical companies, vaccine industry specifically, spends twice the amount as the oil companies in lobbying Washington, D.C. Think about that. Think of how much slaves politicians are to the oil lobby and how many wars they fight for the oil lobby. And then think that the vaccine industry spends twice that amount of money and has for a long time. It, uh, it's a pretty crazy stat. Um, I heard that from the producer of the, uh, the documentary Vaxxed. I heard him on an interview with, uh, um, that was on a really good interview on the Freeman Behind the Wall podcast. Uh, I think I heard it today. Okay, so this theory with Geert van den Bosch, and it's technical, so I'll just try to really quickly uh, uh, say it. The idea is that if you have these already variants in the population when you start to vaccinate, the variants that you, you get vaccinated with a spike protein of, let's say, COVID-19 spike protein version 1.0. And if the variants have a varied spike protein, then you're going to certainly your, your learned immunity via the vaccine will mount a response against the variant, but it will be, according to Geert van den Bosch, suboptimal. I don't think anybody would doubt that it would be suboptimal. But meaning that it wouldn't be as good. It wouldn't kill the virus. It wouldn't really be as good as it could be 
And what that in uh, these types of biological situations, what that typically does is creates immunity towards that uh, and also creates mutations that make it immune to that. Um, so therefore, now they have bred uh, a, a more skilled virus. And despite having been vaccinated, uh, they pass that virus on. Nobody has ever said that they don't pass the viruses on. But here's the problem with the max vaccination. You pass it on to somebody who's also had those same vaccines, the same uh, thing for COVID-19 uh, 1.0, that is also has the suboptimal immune response to them. And so that, that's, that's the first problem is that you're creating this multiple level Petri dish for these things to, uh, to become better. And the second problem is that this learned immunity that will, will electronic, electromagnetically attach to the, uh, to the viruses, you know, you'll mount an immune response to it with these ineffectual um, antibodies. In doing that, you have blocked your body's natural ability to mount a genuine learned response to it. In other words, when a kid gets COVID-19, his body's never seen it before, but there's huge intricate sort of things that are happening in order to, you know, they send out these first sort of frontline guys that aren't quite as specialized, but they're good at sort of recognizing and mounting an initial attack. All the while, they're preparing these sort of memory kind of guys that will uh, attack it in a more specialized way. All that whole system is then nullified. And so the virus essentially, because it's given this suboptimal uh, uh, attachment to it, it then it prevents the other uh, antibodies from attaching to it. Uh, which, if I understand it right, would be a devastating thing. So anyway, long long term, this could be a really bad situation if this theory is correct. So check it out. It's on YouTube for now called Dark Horse Podcast with Geert Vandenbosch and Brett Weinstein. I've looked up Geert Van, Vandenbosch. I've read sort of like debunking articles about him. Seemed very surface level. He on his website has responses to all that. It seems like the same old thing. There's just a bunch of you know, anybody's going to be against anything else. Uh, but uh, I think that if this is right, we're going to start to see it very clearly and probably very quickly that you're going to start to notice. And the world, I don't think, cannot notice that there's going to be a much higher uh, instance of death among those that are vaccinated against reinfection, which, of course, remember, was the problem why for 20 years we have not had a vaccine against the coronavirus is because in reinfection, uh, it all, that's when it all went wrong. Everything went, was fine. They created antibodies in the animal trials, but it was when they were reinfected that the problem started. Got a couple more here. Uh, woman 35 dies of a brain hemorrhage after receiving Johnson and Johnson, Johnson, Canada confirmed second death link to AstraZeneca becomes first country to approve Pfizer for young teens. I love how that's the story. AstraZeneca is bad. Pfizer, even though if you look at the, uh, reporting system, Pfizer is by far and away leading uh, reported deaths and reported instances of, of severe damage. Uh, but yet, nevertheless, uh, that's actually uh, from Children's Health Defense. So I must have misread their intent there. Ventilated COVID patient gets ivermectin after court order. This one just, and it was infuriating. This woman who had been in a coma and on a ventilator had been, they had to sue the hospital to give her ivermectin. They, a lot of people, a lot of doctors had said, you know, why, you know, basically demanded very passionately that the ivermectin trials were working. And yet the FDA has published these things like why you should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19 on its website, because this is a complete corrupt system and they're fighting against anything 
uh, you know, that is not a vaccine. Uh, but the point is, they finally did win the battle. It's only been a little bit of time. I don't think there's an update to this yet, but she seems to be doing, she looks calm, comfortable, and I'm happy. But my my main thing is this, is that they looked around for doctors in the area that would prescribe it because they eventually said, okay, you can do it. Now find a doctor to prescribe it. And they eventually found one, but, but they had asked like 18 doctors and they all said uh, no. And it goes to like that one story we read about the guy uh, in Canada that, that tried to just say, Hey, look, these people are dying or whatever. And he was told to given a gag order. I mean, and told that they would take his license away. So this is what, what we've come down to. The doctors are super scared and look, they've got boat payments as a, as a doc, Dr. Hibbert said on the Simpsons one time about a similar situation. I've got boat payments, but seriously, they've got, they've got their lives to live and they're, they're choosing right now the wrong choice. I think uh, that may change. I don't know what it's going to look like later, but uh, I do want to finally uh, end on an interesting thing. I had looked up about local government because I wanted to try to encourage people to get into their local government, but uh, you know, it's, it's difficult because you don't know where to look. Are you looking at the city or the County? I mean, how's it all looking? I just wanted to give an idea that, that when I Googled this and watched this uh, video, it gave me a really good idea or they had an idea that I want to share, which is that, there was a politician, I think he ended up being he was a city councilman, but he started off just because he wanted to, you know, find out something about something. Anyway, it snowballed. He was put on a committee and then he eventually became a city councilman and all this other stuff. Apparently fairly easy to do in that particular situation. A fairly small town in that case. But my point is that he made the 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 statement that what would make somebody a rock star in their local area is if they would just go to the city council meetings, because he was saying that, look, we do the city council meetings on whatever day of the month or whatever, and talk, talk about the business and whatever. And the papers don't come out for like three days later talking about what it is. And not everybody reads the paper or whatever he said. He was saying, if somebody in each town would just be, would just be a complete rock star, if they would just go to the council meetings and make, you know, summarize what was happening and then post that on your local, you know, town's Facebook page or whatever your town has. Um, and you know, whatever brand it, make it readable and understandable. I think a lot of times these days are probably doing zoom calls. I was watching a zoom call on my local thing yesterday and I was thinking, I bet so much gold is in here uh, because I was like noticing stuff happening and, you know, in the background and these people acting kind of weird and just, you know, I bet you could see some crazy stuff happening. And at least this is my thinking about all this local stuff. For the most part, it's going to be like, hey, they want to dig a ditch here and they want to put up a stoplight there and fine. And you can summarize that and I think start to build a blog following or whatever. I think you could easily parry that into a huge sort of like, you know, if you had a little bit of content creation in you, you know, you could take a video and, and, and screencast a thing or make a thumbnail. Or if you had just a little bit of content creation skill, you could parry this into a, a job, I'm quite sure, and be a local person that just gets. And here's another thing about this. It will be very, very, very. It's like one of these things. It's going to be very hard to censor. Because there's going to be nothing that you're going to be doing, assuming you're normal and not abrasive and not crazy or whatever, um, that is in any way true, true journalism at its finest, right? So on YouTube, on these platforms, it's going to be very hard to censor you because you're just reporting what they said, no matter what they said. And I think it's just a great service, especially as the news starts to go away from you know, dig a ditch into what are we going to do about vaccine passports? What are we going to do about masks? What are we going to do about 
cameras all over the place and all of the different things that are going to start happening. Sheriffs, we need to know what the sheriff is and whatever. You could really break all that down for your local community, whether that's the city or the county or both or all of it, and really be a major resource for your local area and probably um, do some just amazing good. Who knows what can happen? I know that one of the things that gets you sort of addicted to this kind of stuff is that you see results a lot of times pretty quick. I mean, I, I, my only foray into local politics got me on the news when I was, whatever, 19 years old. And I was talking about fluoride. I mean, I just found out about fluoride. I wanted to talk about it. So, you know, I put together some packets and sent it out to people. And lo and behold, I'm on the news. And, and long story short, and not my town, but the town over us, I kicked fluoride out of their water and uh, next to us anyway. But my point is, in this scenario, this guy was telling the story about he wanted to do something, and he they called somebody, and they said, oh, okay, we'll join this committee, and, and now he's on the city council. You know, things can snowball in the local level like that. If, if you're in a small town, I mean, if you're in you know downtown Chicago, you might have a different sort of situation. And another thing is that you want to probably Google to see what other stuff is happening in your area, what people are already doing. Um, but I do think that just watching the Zoom call and and – putting it into like a five bullet point thing, something very easy to to digest, and then just having a good branding situation. Make sure that your thumbnail of your, your profile on Facebook or whatever is, you know, whatever local news explained for the people or whatever, a, a brand that people can know and look and sign up for your thing or whatever, do a newsletter or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, just some interesting stuff. Okay, I think that's all I wanted to talk about today. You can go to the website Bible Prophecy Talk. You can sign up for the mailing list, all kinds of stuff there. And uh, we will see you next time.